Well, good morning. How we doing? Good morning. Good morning. Grab a seat. Say hi to someone around you. Give a dad a wave. Give him a high five. It's a good day to be in church. How are we doing this morning? Man, it's going to be one of those days, huh? I said, how are we doing in church this morning? Come on. It's Father's Day, people. This is my day. I love this day. You wonder why I love Father's Day? Because I have earned Father's Day. I've earned it. You know, there's a lot of holidays that I get to participate in, but I don't feel like I've earned it. You know, like Christmas, that was all God. You know, Easter, all Jesus. Halloween, was the other guy. Um, but I feel like I've earned it, you know? Like, being a dad is hard, right? Being a guy is hard, you know? Just, like, expectations in life. And today is the day where I get to say, it's Father's Day. Yeah, anything that gets said to me today, hey, take the trash out, Father's Day. You know, like, hey, can you help me with this? Father's Day. Just, rem just remind yourself. Yeah, uh, we went, we went to, and celebrated Father's Day last night. We went to dinner, and um, my daughter's getting out of the car, and she is not thrilled with the place I chose for dinner. And uh, she makes it really, really known. She, you know, she starts throwing a fit. And says, I don't like it here. And I go, Father's Day. Um, yeah, and she gets out of the car, she looks at me and she says, what if it was Father's Day and Harper's Day? Oh, you guys, oh. <laughs> I looked at her, I was like, you get 364 days a year, I'm eating here tonight. Yeah, and you know, it's just a, it's a cool day just to you know, remind ourselves uh, you know, how great the men in our life are. You know, I, I've been blessed to have a great dad and all of us in this room have been impacted by a man, um, a godly man in some way. Uh, and I just pray that we remember that today. You guys with me on that? And today we're gonna be diving into scripture. We're gonna be diving into the story of David. Uh, David's just an amazing story. And you know, as we, we think through the lens of Father's Day, there's so many things we can learn from the story of David. And really when you read the whole story of David, it's all about focus. Where David's focus was, really determined how he was living. And as we dive into that scripture, think through that focus on what that looks like. But before we do that, let's pray together and let's jump into it. Father God, we love you and we praise you. We pray that as we dive into your word this morning, God, that you would just open up our ears and open up our hearts to hear you and see you more clearly. Uh, take away any distraction in our life right now that might stop us from focusing on you, God, Chip away at the areas of our life that need you to. We are your canvas, God. And we open up ourselves to you to move in however you see fit. Father, we love you. And we pray all these things in your son's holy name. Amen. Amen. Before we dive into the word, uh, I want to talk about a story about focus. Uh, I, I'm not, none of you will be surprised by this, but uh, I was an all-star baseball player in my young years. Yeah, right? Like, yeah, you're not surprised, you know? Uh, you know, I, I was an extremely gifted town, like 3,500 people, and I made it. Yeah, um, and so it was a great time for me. And I remember there was one game, I played first base. I loved first base. It was where all the action was. You know, you're involved a lot in the game. 
And I was playing first base and the batter hits a, a, a pop-up right foul of the first base line. And I look at that ball and I am determined to catch that ball. You know, it's a big moment in the game. All 35 people in the town are there and um, it's a big moment. And, and I begin to run after this ball and I'm just zoned in on this ball. And I'm thinking, you know, it's like slow motion. The dramatic music is playing like na, 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 na. I think that's the graduation one, but I don't know. Um, and I'm getting this ball, it's starting to come down. I'm, I'm ready for the crowd to rush in and throw me up on their shoulders and shine, shine, shine. And all of a sudden, bam, I smack into the wall. Just smash into the wall, blacked out completely. I wake up and everyone's laughing at me and I'm like, you know, like, it's just not at all what it was supposed to happen in that moment. You're like, Shane, why are you telling me this? this is embarrassing for you because I care enough about you to make fun of myself, okay? And I remember the reason why I hit the wall was because my only focus was on the ball. I, I was so focused on the ball, I lost track of where my feet were. And you know, baseball fields have dirt and grass and dirt, and if you're, if you're following a ball, you're supposed to look at the ball and look down where you're going to let me know where I'm at on the field. And I, I, I remember that moment very clearly, and as we dive into David's life, we can kind of see this in the life arc of David. Uh, David has three really like, kind of like life moments that we're gonna dive into. David has his rise. Um, where he is thrust into this position of authority. He has his fall, uh, where a moment in his life where he begins to falter and he falls off of this platform he was on, and then he has the rebuild of his life. As he starts to rebuild his life and give it back to God, and we're gonna talk about these three areas. The first one is the rise, but before we get to the scripture, I'll just summarize the story. It's time for a new king to be anointed. And a prophet is sent by God to go out and anoint this person as the king. And he goes uh, to David's father. And David's father lines up the sons, the oldest, uh, the best, the, the ones that were most qualified. He lines them all up and the prophet begins to go through them saying, not him, not him, not him. And he gets to the end and there's no more sons. And he asks him, is, is this it? Is this it? And the father says, no, I have one more son out in the field. Uh, he's out attending the fields. And he says, send him. Send him. It says this in verse 12 of 1 Samuel 16. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. I, I hope my obituary reads like that. You know, like, <laughs> this piece of scripture is just astounding to me. This has been alive for thousands of years. This is how he's remembered. He was dark, handsome, with beautiful eyes. <laughs> and the Lord said, this is the one. I'm assuming not because of the features. This is the one. Anoint him. So David stood there among his brothers. Samuel took the flask of olive oil. He had brought and anointed David with oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. David, in this moment, receives the title as the anointed king. As the, the, the anointed king, God's chosen, he receives this title. You think you have issues with your family? Imagine being the younger brother who was anointed king, who wasn't even supposed to be in the lineup. This is his title. And there's something about titles in life. 
Titles have two options. Titles either bring life to us or they drain life out of us. Titles will either bring life to us or they'll drain the life out of us. And I've come to one conclusion. When it comes to titles, if they're life-giving or they're draining, it all determines on who is giving the title. Who's giving the title? Is God giving you the title? Is God telling you who you are and what you're anointed for? Or are you living based off the world's title that they've given you? The, the, the title of your job or your, what you're good at or who you are instead of who God says you are. Titles can drain us or they can give us life. We just need to decide who we're allowing to give us the title. I mean, even some of you, you know, maybe you have the title over your life of failure. When you were growing up, maybe your parents said something to you that made you feel like a failure or, or you messed up in a previous work um, environment and you just feel like a failure to the point where you don't even try anymore. You just wave that banner of failure over your life. That's the title. But the truth is, is that's the world's title for you. As a, as a member of Christ's family, the title that goes above your name is royalty. Royalty. Maybe some of you wear the banner of sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I've done so much. I've made so many mistakes. You have no idea. And this is the title you're going around. But the real title in your life as someone who's accepted Christ is simply forgiven. Maybe it's broken, you're, you're beaten down, you have hurts and wounds, and your new title given by God should read as beautiful because when God looks at you, all he sees is his son, Jesus, orphan, unwanted, lonely, whatever the title is that you've been believing that the world gave you. Maybe it's time to allow God to give you a new title. Maybe you just need to believe the word of God that when it says that you are adopted into the family of God, you are a son and daughter of the most high God. No matter what the world titles you with, that is your identity, amen? There's power in a title, but who's given it to us? And then David, so he's anointed king, and then he does a lot of amazing things. Conquers giants and uh, wins wars and takes uh, land for the kingdom. And eventually he is put in the place of king. After a long time of waiting, he takes the throne and he does amazing things like he was anointed to do. But then we find ourselves in the season of David's life we call the fall. We call the fall. In 2 Samuel 11, it says this, verse 1. In the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. When the kings normally go off to war, this is a deep piece of scripture. Because what it is showing here is acknowledging that David wasn't where he was supposed to be. That the king would normally be off at war. Now, we don't know how all the logistics, we don't know the exact reason why, but we can read this piece of scripture and we can say that David was not where he should have been. He's not where he should have been. This was the time when the kings would lead the men to battle. They would fight the battles. They would take ground for their kingdom. He's not where he should have been. And he's 
in the next verse, he's walking through the city and he sees a lady in a hot tub. If you're gonna hear one thing, hear this. When you are places you shouldn't be, bad things are gonna happen. He wasn't where he should have been. He's walking around the city. He, he sees a lady in a hot tub and this well, this, this tall, dark, handsome, blue-eyed man is now in this moment in verse three. It says this. He wondered who he, she was. So in verse three, he sent someone to find out who she was. It was the DM of the day. And he was told, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. He slept with her. He knows that this is another man's wife. He knows that this is a problem. But from verse one to verse three, we see it escalate very quickly. He wasn't where he should have been and now he's doing something he shouldn't be doing. See, the truth is it's easy for us as humans to slip into sin. I mean, think about it. How many times in your life have you found yourself in a place, how did I get here? How did this happen? We drift into sin. And here's three things on how we do this. Here's how we slip into sin, three ways. One, we become distracted. We become distracted. We become off mission. We start to become distracted on why God has put us in this place what we're supposed to be doing with our lives, these distractions start to distract us away from God's calling in our life. Think about the story I told with the baseball. I was so focused on the ball, I couldn't see where I was going. In life, when we become distracted, we need to return our gaze back to God. See, ever, ever seen that movie where they, uh, you know, the squirrel runs by and it's like, the dog's like, squirrel! You ever seen that? Squirrel! We're the same way. But oftentimes we see the squirrel like squirrel and we stay locked on it. When the Christian life is supposed to be, the distractions come, we might get distracted for a moment but we return to God. We return to the mission. We might get distracted for a second but we return to God's calling on our life. That's the first thing, we become distracted. And the second thing is we become comfortable. We become comfortable. We begin to let our guard down. Life's good right now. I haven't prayed in a week. We become comfortable in our, our life. Finances are good, whatever that is. But if you read 1 Peter 5.8, you should never become comfortable. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The enemy doesn't want you to succeed. He doesn't want you to have a good life. He wants you to get comfortable and get lazy in your spiritual walk so he can devour you. It's the truth. He wants you to get to that place of where life is so good, if you were honest with yourself, you don't even rely on Jesus anymore. How many of us, if we were completely honest, we're living our life in a way that we don't even, if we were really honest, we wouldn't even need Jesus. 
We're playing it safe. We're playing it comfortable. We're playing it easy. We're not stepping out in faith. We're not challenging ourselves. We're not growing. Watch out. He's a lion looking to devour. And the third thing is this, how we slip into sin, is we become entitled. We become entitled. And we begin to say the three most dangerous words anyone can say. I deserve this. I deserve this. I've worked so hard this last week. I deserve dot, dot, dot. I mean, this, this, these three words is where a fair start. Lying and corruption and deceit. It starts with these three words most of the time. Yes, I have biblical morals. Yes, I've been, I've been fighting for God and I've been living my life to honor God for so long, but I deserve a break. I deserve this. I mean, look back at your life and when you found your place, yourself in places that you were unhappy with or you'd slipped into something, how many times did it start with I deserve this? We can't become entitled because if we're honest with ourselves, the only thing we deserve is death. But it's by the grace and love of Jesus Christ that we're promised eternity. We don't deserve anything. He chooses to give us his grace. Amen? And then David does some more stuff. So he sleeps with her. And then she becomes pregnant. And David has a decision, do I come clean or do I begin to cover it up? And he does what most humanity does with their sin. They begin to cover it up. So he brings her husband back from war and sends him to the room to, to try to have him sleep with her so they would think it was his kid. But this husband has morals and ha has a way of living and he stays at front, out front of the door, doesn't go in and see his wife because he says if the men are out at war, how could I stay and sleep with my wife? Can you imagine the guilt David feels at this moment where David, while the men are where you should be, I'm not going in. So then, as most sin does to us, we start the snowball effect. We cover up, we cover up, we cover up, and David's cover up ends with making this decision. Well, if I can't get him to go in and do that, I'm gonna send him back to war, but I'm gonna tell my general to send him to the front of the line where he will surely be the first to die. This man, this man after God's heart, this chosen king is now an adulterer, a liar, and a murderer. How far he has fallen. How far he has fallen. But now we get to the rebuild. The rebuild of David's life. God sends a prophet named Nathan to confront David, to rebuke David in this moment. And when he's rebuking David, he tells a story of a rich farmer who had many cattle and many sheep in his, his group in the town. And there was a poor farmer who only had one sheep and another person came into town and he went to the rich person's house to throw a party, to, to be treated to dinner. And the rich uh, farmer decided to take the poor person's one piece of cattle and sacrifice it for dinner. David, in the moment, as you read scripture, it says he gets angry. This man deserves death. How dare him take the, the poor man's one sheep? And Nathan responds with this, David, that man is you. You had the whole kingdom. 
You had whatever you wanted, but you chose to take Uriah's wife for your own. And David begins to get to this place of realization that, you know what, I have messed up. My pride has gotten too much. My, my life has gotten too much out of control. It's time for me to start rebuilding. And rebuilding starts in verse 13. It says this, then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. If we want to rebuild, we have to do three things. If we want to rebuild, there's something in our life that we need to rebuild. First thing we have to do is we have to confess. We have to go to God with our sins. Here's a little secret for you. He already knows. He's not surprised. But we often let guilt and shame stop us from going there. We have to bring our confessions to God. Two, we have to set goals. You are not gonna trip into the life you want. You are not gonna fall into the spiritual life you want, the relationship you want with Jesus. You have to begin to set goals. Set goals in reading scripture, setting goals in prayer, setting goals in getting with my family and praying together. Whatever goals you want to reach, you have to acknowledge what they are. You're not just gonna fall into this. And the third thing is you need to build a team. You need to get a team of people around you who are gonna hold you accountable. Who are, when they see you being somewhere you're not supposed to be, are gonna be willing to call it out. And to close out this service, I wanted to do something really special because um, we have a two people here who have been living this out, building a team together. One being our senior pastor, Dan Frank, and two being UNR's head baseball coach, TJ Bruce. So can we make some noise for him? Oops, don't mind this. They're bringing some stools out for us real quick, and we're gonna have a little chat. Is that cool? Um, isn't it cool to have these guys up here? Come on. And so we're, we, were just, we were just talking out here about building a team. Start with confession, setting goals, building a team. And uh, TJ, Dan's been a pretty big part of your team and, uh, in holding you accountable, giving you direction. And what made you get to the place where you're like, I need that we don't have enough time <laughs> um, but I think just in short you know I was born and raised in the Catholic Church and so my wife came to church here we couldn't really connect when we moved here seven years ago my wife came to church here and so she's like hey I really like this new church I really like Pastor Dan and so I came and then the, then there was a ton of singing well I don't want to hear anybody sing. Um, I'm used to the sit down, sit down, stand up, kneel, and all that stuff. And then, so I walked out, um, and I left. And then I came back again a few weeks later, and then I came back again. And, and the, the last time, the third time, I guess, it struck me as Dan's message. And I felt like Dan was, like, looking at me the whole time. And I know with these bright lights, he can't really see me where I'm at, but... He's looking at me and he was talking into my soul. Um, and that was, that was really at that point, um, I started, I guess, diving more into my faith because I was always, faith was always just something that I was told to do. Uh, my religion was what I had to be um, because of how I was raised. And then um, diving into more of Dan's messages and getting more into the singing and more into um, just really what faith is, um, 
I, I reached out to a guy by the name of James Kitchen, who runs our FCA department or um, the state of Nevada, and um, I had a meeting with Dan, and um, so I call, I asked for a meeting, and really what they, what Dan talks about is meeting you where you're at, and Dan literally came to my office in Legacy Hall and met me right where I'm at. I was a little, little uh, taken back, uh, but I think the one thing is I was a little embarrassed, in mm. all honesty, because you're we're so shot, we're so afraid of our faith and we're so afraid of what people see us as. And, they, and if you have faith, then you're automatically not as strong or tough as, as you're supposed to be. And so I was really, I was really nervous and, and about that. And then Dan kept pressing the buttons. And if you guys know Dan personally, he's not afraid to touch buttons. And yeah. uh, he kept going and going and going. And, and now two and a half years later, at one point, um, you know, up until a few months ago, we were meeting for two and a half years almost once a week for two and a half straight years. Wow. You talk about the buttons. Yeah, it's cool. Come on. You talk about these buttons, and I'm assuming you're diving into the area. He was pushing the areas of your life that hurt, that were scary, right? And so, Dan, that's honestly what stops most of us from jumping into building a team, jumping into communities, the fear of those buttons. If you could say anything to us about that, what would you say? Yeah, so that's a great question. The reality is, is that you and I are normally spiritually lazy at best. Hmm. That's, that's probably at best. And maybe even hiders at worst. And so what happens is, is that we get content showing up at church and uh, sitting and listening to Shane or me or whoever's up here talk about Jesus. And then we go out the doors and we you know, get in our cars. And, and by the time we get to the freeway, if that's where we're going... We have forgotten everything that was said. We're fighting our way out of the parking lot and uh, maybe even saying naughty words along the way. <laughs> and uh, so, so this is my personal conviction is that for, for most of us, we need somebody in our life that is going to say, that's not acceptable. You can't do that anymore. Yeah. You, have to, you have to push forward. And so my role with TJ was just to meet, meet him where he was and just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And uh, because I knew where he wanted to go, but he would never get there on his own. Yeah. That's good. I mean, two and a half years, that's a lot of pushing. Yeah. You know? <laughs> a lot of pushing, a lot of meetings. Yes. And after two and a half years, I'm almost saved. I'm just saying. I'm close. I'm that close to getting uh, saved. That's good. I mean, TJ, I mean, you brought it up a little earlier, this idea of being kind of scared of your faith, right? A position, you have a platform. You're, you're the UNR baseball coach. You have players re uh, reporting to you. You got coworkers, staff. They're looking at you, and you have to have this moment of being like vulnerable. What was that like for you? I think it's scary. I think, but I think vulnerability is a sign of growth, and mm. um, that's that's one thing we try to do with our team. And I think really what Dan helped me realize is um, up until the point I got here, I was chasing a lot of different things. A, I was chasing winning. Um, I won a national title in 2013, so. That, that was who I was. That's what defined me, and that's the only thing that mattered, and I kept going and going and going and chasing that thing, um, that one thing, and then you wake up the next morning, and you're like, now what? Yeah. Um, and so with Dan and our relationship and, and the pushing, he just, he just helped me get to a point where I wasn't afraid to be somebody else outside of just being the baseball coach. Mm -hmm. And for so long, that's what defined me. And 
I think at times, I, in all honesty, I struggle with that at times now. You know, it's if you don't reach a certain number of wins, if you don't beat uh, a certain team, if you don't do this, you're, you're, you get so caught up in what the outside world thinks of you and what Twitter thinks of you. And we know Twitter's smart and everybody else in this room, um, we know that, but you get, you get scared of that. And um, it really wasn't until I started meeting with Dan that there was a bigger picture here in mind. Um, I was chasing much more than just the wins. I was chasing the process of becoming a man of faith. I was chasing the process of being a good husband, um, being a good friend, and then trying to mentor somebody else and holding somebody else accountable. Um, so now, you know, fast forward with our team in seven years, um, you know, our prayer circle grew from five to 10, and now you got 35 young men um, praying before. Yeah, so, so let me just say something about that. When he says praying, what he means by that is his team gets on the field, in front of the fans, on their knees, praying. Wow. Come on, come on. I mean, what, what a cool like, visual, right? You realize it's time for me to build a team. And going and finding someone who's going to help you, hold you accountable, and now you are getting to be that for these 18 to 22-year-olds as you help them when you're building your sports team. But they're going to see the bigger picture. Uh, Dan, I got one last question to close this out. Uh, today's Father's Day. Uh, guys in the house today. Uh, if we're honest with ourselves, guys struggle with this. Guys struggle with uh, accountability, with relationship, being real. Uh, it's a struggle of ours. And what would you say to the guys in here who are kind of like, I don't need that? Yeah, I would say that uh, you're deceiving yourself. First of all, let me smile at me when I say that. <laughs> you're deceiving yourself if you believe that you don't need to be pushed. I, I didn't have a mentor. And so by the grace of God, I, got, I figured it out. And uh, it was by the grace of God. But I just determined that that wasn't going to let other men have that happen to them and so I would just say to you that it is so important it is so crucially important for you to have someone who is going to pull you through the knot holes who someone who is going to help you when you feel like giving up when you feel like moving up when you feel like stop church when you feel like giving up on your marriage when you feel like giving up on your children you need somebody who's going to be in your court saying you can't do that yeah you just can't that's so good uh, we talked about those three things today. Uh, started with confession. And you know, this is just kind of something on my heart is you know, when it comes to being a guy, um, we have to pretend like we got it all together. Uh, and I want to be a dad who my kids know more for being on their knees in the presence of Jesus and standing up tough. And um, you know, I think both of you live that so well. And so thank you for that. And building a team is so important. And there's guys in here who maybe your step today is you need to do what TJ did. Get somebody in your corner. Get somebody who's going to hold you accountable. Get somebody who's going to push you for two and a half years uh, you know, and push those buttons like TJ said. And maybe some of you are like uh, Dan. And you're in a position to where you can do that. You can be that for someone. You know, because Dan, TJ, and myself, if everybody relied just on the people on the stage, it's just too big. You know, we are called as the body of Christ to help each other. And so if you're uh, someone who could be a mentor for someone and you're being distracted and busy, you're missing a huge blessing in your life, just ask Dan Frank how great of a blessing it is to be my mentor. You know? Uh... It is awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> 
right, hey, Dan, would you close us out in prayer? I, I'd love to. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for this day. Thank you for every person in this auditorium, God. And I pray that they would take Shane's message to heart. If there's repentance and confession that needs to take place today, God, I pray that you would just convict us of that. And I pray, Father, that you would bring people into our lives that are able to strengthen us and encourage us and build us, God, and, I, and confront us when, we're, when necessary, God. And uh, Lord, thank you for every single person here today. And may we finish well, God. That's the goal. May we finish well. May we cross that line. May we hear these words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. In Jesus' holy and powerful name I pray. Amen. 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 Can we make some noise for these two? Come on.